Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to Islanders Anxiety, the podcast from Lighthouse Hockey. My name is Dan Saracini. Joining me on this Sunday evening is my friend Michael Eboff. And Mike, how was your trip to Denver? It was good. It was. It's nice. I was there just in and out for a wedding uh, to visit my college roommate, and it was fun. But uh, I couldn't time it right to get to an Avalanche game, which I uh, was a little upset about. But it was weird because it's just totally Broncos country, like. I, I did not see one avalanche hat, shirt, mm. nothing. Actually, I saw a Buffalo Sabres hat, but that was it. <laughs> I'm a little surprised. I mean, they were they were a huge deal when they first got there. But, you know, now that I think about it, that was a long time ago. It doesn't feel like it, but it was a really long time ago. So, you know. Yeah, for sure. And uh, well, I think I think they, they're just whole – their look could use an, an, up, an update of some sort. No, for sure. For sure. I mean, it's it's been kind of long in the tooth with that that same uh, that same style. I wonder if they're a little bit like the Islanders in that you know, when the team's not good for a long time, you know, kids grow up and it's not really a part of their lives, and so you know, life goes on and they're not really fans. You know, you kind of skip a generation of fans. Although you know, for me, the Avalanche has always been there, but I could see if you're a kid and you're not really into it, you know, all of a sudden it's like, well, who the heck are these guys and why should I care? But, right. Right. 
Yeah, it's funny too. They 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 were just so good right away. Yeah, and then and they were good. They were still like strong, and then they just never really mm. got back to to relevancy. Right. So, well, Gabriel Landeskog right now is just about the hottest player in the league. So maybe he will he'll change all that by by the end of the season. We'll see. Um, so before you left, you got to watch a couple of their uh, the California games that the Islanders played, right? Yeah, I, I saw the the Ducks game, and then I watched the Kings game like two hours before I flew out. All right. Well, well, you saw the two best games. To be perfectly <laughs> blunt, uh, you should be happy. You should write your roommate a note and thank him for having his wedding and helping you escape that game <laughs> against the Sharks. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a, in a minute. But, uh, yeah, so uh, the Islanders played three games. I figured it was a good time. You know, we can't we can't talk on Wednesday because the Islanders do have a home game. Against, I, believe it or not, they have a home game, of all things, against the Florida Panthers. Uh, and so we figured we'd get together earlier, and I was like, well, let's just talk on Sunday if we can, talk about the three games that happened. And uh, we'll talk about a bit of other news uh, towards the end of the uh, show. Uh, Charles Wong has passed away. I'm sure you've already read. Uh, he was 74. The news came out on Sunday in Newsday, so we'll, we'll definitely talk about him and his legacy as an Islanders owner uh, a little bit later. But uh, let's just get the games over with real quick. So, um, yeah, Wednesday in Anaheim, uh, the Islanders played really well. I mean, they, they – for the – I think the first two periods, they were probably outskated the Ducks by quite a bit. Uh, unfortunately, John Gibson was playing in goal for the Ducks, and uh, he was great. And he just stopped pretty much everything he saw until the very end. The final score was 4-1, to one, but it, that's really not indicative of, of how the game played out. The, the Ducks were only up 2 nothing on two uh, Ryan Kessler goals going into the third period, and you know, Thomas Grice let him one that eh, maybe he should have had. Uh, and so going into that period, you thought, hey, maybe the Islanders have a chance, but they scored early. In that period, on a really embarrassing goal that he definitely somebody should have had, and or it never should have happened, and sort of popped up over his head and ended up in the goal and in the net, and that was pretty much the end of it. And so the game was over. But uh, I thought it, they played pretty well. I mean, what did you think of that one? Did you? Did, I mean, am I crazy? Did they look okay, or was it just uh, Gibson standing on his head, or was it something else? Yeah, I I was like convinced within the first thirty seconds of that game that I was going to be like, up oh, just one of those games where the the other like I, I, I didn't believe the Islanders were going to score more than one goal in that game. And then <laughs> once uh, Grice let that goal in from like the blue line that like weird he like pawed at it. That was a really strange one. Yeah, uh, he kind of stretched out. and He just was an inch or two short, you know. Yeah, exactly. And uh, once that one went in, it was over. Uh, but they did. They, they played well. And, and uh, I thought that uh, there were a couple like noticeable players. Uh, and I thought this – we're we're in like one of these Brock Nelson stretches where he looks decent. So, <laughs> and it and it continued into that night and and then yeah. through the Kings game. So actually, yeah, he uh, he looked good in all three games. Uh, he was inarguably the Islanders' best player, <laughs> pretty offense best forward in all three of those games. But uh, yeah, I thought they got a little sloppy in the third. Um, but you know, generally, I thought they they played pretty well. Um, I did, and Gibson was great. I don't, I was obviously not going to take anything away from him, but I thought they did. The Islanders did look a little predictable, like on their power plays. They didn't really seem like they had a lot of juice going in. Um, I don't know why that was, but they certainly played well enough to win the game or at least tie the game. But Gibson was just really, really good, and he's a guy who we don't hear a whole lot about out here. But he's pretty much the guy responsible for the Ducks winning record so far this season. Uh, so uh, you know, good on him. But I mean, that that kind of hurt the Islanders. So then going into the next night, they had a back-to-back against the Kings. And you think, oh, boy, here we go. Back-to-back, West Coast, Kings are just like a goon squad out there. They're going to just 
beat the heck out of these guys, so that's going to be loss number two. And, and bear in mind, the Islanders had lost already last week in Nashville. But uh, but the damnedest thing happened. The Islanders played great in L.A. They really did. And they ended up winning the game 7-2. to two. Um, the uh, They made it 2-0. Uh, and then, no, sorry, they made it 3-1 going into the third. Jeff Carter scored uh, to make it 3-2. And almost immediately, the Islanders scored a shorthanded goal. They were down uh, at the 5-on-3 when Carter scored. They, they The Kings made a 3-2. The Islanders made a 4-2 and then just kept scoring. And it was 6-2 uh, at one point. And then uh, they scored. Jonathan Quick got pulled, and they scored uh, a seventh goal on the, the backup, whose name I can't think of. Oh, uh, um, Jack Campbell, the guy used to be with, uh, with the Stars. And uh, it was a romp, but they played really great. And uh, my one of my favorite things ever, and this is probably my favorite thing about rooting for a team that's like kind of generally been bad for a long time, is that the the loss was obviously terrible for the Kings, and immediately the team is the entire franchise is now suspect. We got to get the general manager's take on it. We got to get the coach's take. Everybody's down. This is embarrassing. This shouldn't happen. Yada yada yada. All because the terrible Islanders came into your building and embarrassed <laughs> you. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's my only favorite thing about rooting for a bad team is the the soul searching that goes on after uh, a, an ostensibly good team or a team that thinks it's good loses to said bad team. Yeah, I love that. The the lowly, they always just call them the yes. lowly, the yes. lowly blanks. But uh, yeah, I thought the Kings game was good. It was funny. I I was watching like packing and stuff, and all I was thinking about was I'm sure you know not everybody will be able to stay up uh, to watch these games, and just thinking about like the people that went to bed and maybe after this <laughs> after, after after the second period, and we're just yeah. like holy hell, like what the hell yeah. happened? <laughs> I almost did, and I ended up telling my wife the next morning like three one isn't enough of a lead for me to say, all right, these guys got it. I'm going to sleep. Like that absolutely is not enough, you know? Uh, and I probably would have felt that way. Even if the Islanders were down three to one, I would have thought, Hey, you know what? Maybe they can, they can come back. It's only two goals. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, that was a, I'm glad I stayed up. That was a really wild thing. They ever, at one point the Islanders scored on four straight shots, uh, which is not something that happens very often. And the guys that were scoring weren't, you know, Matthew Barzell and Anders Lee. It was, uh, Val Philpola had two goals in that game and an assist. Uh, Scott Mayfield had three assists. Leo Komarov got his first goal as an Islander. <laughs> it was completely bonkers. Yeah. Uh, S- Scott Mayfield was a plus five, which is like, how? <laughs> how does that even happen? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so it it was a, a good thing to watch and and it was fun and you could see that the guys were having a good time. But the you know the flip side of that though is that it's the kind of game that people get worried about because their their underlying numbers weren't that great. Komarov is a black hole at this point. I mean, his Corsi is so low. I mean, it's it, I, he's barely scratching like thirty percent <laughs> Corsi amazing. four. Yeah, and but you know they're getting results, and it's like you'd think people would be happy, but the next day, you know, people are like this team still isn't very good, <laughs> and yet they're winning. It's it's kind of a weird place to be in, you know. Yeah, it's funny. The the the, the beginning of the season is always like that, like. The Senators are picking up wins. The Canucks, the Canucks beat like a gauntlet. Oh, yeah, they beat oh, yeah. the the Bruins. They they beat the. They're pretty sure they beat the Lightning. I mean, they're <laughs> they're collecting some pretty big scalps. But then you know, obviously, this stuff's all gonna come crashing down to all of them. So uh, yeah, it's it's it, that that game was funny. The uh, the Kings game, I thought especially, was just like 
one of those games you're going to remember. You're, it's we'll we'll be laughing about that game when when we're looking back at the season and you're like looking through the schedule like holy shit we beat the Kings seven <laughs> two. Uh, it, it reminded me again that the next day when I was explaining to my wife why I went to sleep at one thirty in the morning. I was like, you know, it's like that game. I watched a game against the Canucks one time where the Islanders were down like three nothing or something going into the third period and they came back and won like. Eight to three or eight to four or whatever it was, that was a completely bonkers. Yep. I mean, I'm sure I'm getting the numbers wrong, but we all know what game I'm talking about. That was a yeah. pretty insane thing, but this wasn't quite as bad as that. But yeah, yeah, pretty sure that game Josh Bailey had like eight goals or something. That was I remember Matt Martin scored a goal in that game, and it was like, all right, this is ridiculous <laughs> now. Stop this now. Uh, but and ironically, Martin had a goal against the Kings too. He was it was beautiful. He was standing in a slot, and nobody was anywhere near him, and he scored, so it was great. Um, so. You know, again, we got two games on a back-to-back all the way across the country. And in fairness, the Islanders played really well in both those games. Hey, sometimes you lose, the goalie's hot. Sometimes, you know, everything you touch just turns to gold and it goes in. And, you know, the other team is left scratching their heads. So, you know, so far, so good. I mean, they were 3-3. Three and three. Hey, you know what? Can't argue with it. It's not too bad. Then they went to San Jose. And this game was... A disaster. <laughs> it was again. It's early. Disaster is obviously too strong a word for the uh, seventh game of the season. But uh, they lost four to one. They were never at any point in the game in control or even on an even playing field with the Sharks. It was pretty much the exact opposite of the way the Sharks played in Brooklyn, uh, where the Islanders shut them out. Robin Leonard made thirty-five whatever saves and shut them out. In this game, the Islanders were chasing. They just couldn't get anything couldn't get a step on them and they were just constantly chasing. And, you know, if you, if I showed you the Kings game and the Sharks game and asked you which one of these is on a back to back, which would you say was that game? You would say it was the Sharks game because they just look so slow. It looked like they slept outside in the parking lot. Like it was really that bad. (laughs) And uh, their net mouth defense in particular was terrible. And I mean, I, I, I don't even know if I could fault Leonard on any of those goals because on at least two of them, he was literally it was him and a shooter, and he was just standing there, and the shooter just kept getting their, his own rebounds and taking extra shots on them, and no Islanders defenseman could or did do anything. Um, you know, Barry Trotz obviously called it out for being pretty terrible, and then the Sharks game also had the added bonus of some Donnie Brooks that broke out sort of later. Um, I thought it, you know, all right, look, they happen. It's hockey. It's not great, but I did think it was hilarious that. The entire Sezikas, Clutterbuck, Martin line all got ejected at the same time with 10-minute misconducts, which I find hilarious. Like That is just too funny to me. These guys do everything together, including getting kicked out of games. It's, it's great. But, but yeah, so you missed that one, right? Yeah, like you didn't yeah watch I, it. I did. I'm happy I missed it. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Was that the game that Beauvillier was scratched? Yeah, he was sick. He was sick. apparently ill. Yeah. Okay, okay, got it. Yeah, stand yeah. down, stand down. It wasn't yeah, a healthy scratching. Great. Uh, but yeah, there's a couple of things I've noticed though through through the three games, and I know a bunch of other people have said it too on Twitter and such. Is the power play is uh, pretty pretty one dimensional, especially on the the first unit uh, where I think it's it's probably time to hand the keys over to to Ryan Pollock instead of Nick Letty, who I think I think of all the you know it's like you said seven games, so it's not long, it's not uh, a big sample at all, but just going off of the way last year went, plus these seven games, I'm I'm starting to grow in my concern about Nick Letty, which uh, something I didn't ever really think would <laughs> would happen. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm glad you brought it up because uh, I I do have I have two two hot takes that I thought of while coming up with this. 
Um, hot take number one, uh, Ross Johnston played in the game against Anaheim, and uh, he played pretty well. I mean, even Re- Barry Trotz said he played pretty well, but he decided to play Matt Martin uh, the next night because of intangibles. He said That's what actually the coach said. He said, I want to play Martin because of intangibles, and the back-to-back situation uh, wasn't Ross's play that got him scratches, kind of Martin being a veteran, I guess, or whatever. Um, uh, my first hot take is that I think Ross Johnson is – a lot better than we think he is. And I'm not saying that he's a good player. I'm not saying he even needs to play every day. I'm just saying I think his hockey IQ is a lot higher than people give him credit for because he's kind of a he's, he's a huge guy. He's kind of made his living with his fist so far. Um, and hockey IQ is obviously a very nebulous and mysterious entity that some people have and some people don't. But, I, you know, he's got hands and he's able to kind of evade defenders and make little plays that – could be valuable and, you know, gain the zone with, you know, uh, authority and, and make get set up for a four check and do all that little stuff that a lot of guys in his, uh, you know, role don't necessarily do. Again, I'm not saying he needs to play every day. I really don't know if they should have signed him for a four-year contract. I really probably shouldn't have. But uh, I do think he's better than people give him credit for. And I think that, you know, he should get play a little bit more. Yeah, my second. Think, I don't think he like, in, especially in, in this team. Like, he's probably of the bottom, you know, eight forwards. He's definitely not number eight. So, mm-hmm. which is f- fine. And 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 it was funny last year. He was producing points at a clip, like points per sixty wise, and like mm-hmm. obviously you had to adjust the the minute on ice, like so it wasn't qualified player because he played like thirty five minutes. But he was yeah. <laughs> he was like it was like. Uh, Brad Marchand was like number one and then like Bergeron <laughs> and then Rush Johnston and then Pasternak. So it was, it was, I was yeah. having some fun with the, uh, with, with, uh, sample sizes there. The, uh, the, the one goal the Islanders, just, the Islanders did score in that Ducks game. Damn near came from Ross Johnston. He, he actually took the shot and, uh, they eventually gave it to Casey Sasekis, but, uh, I don't know. I kind of look like Johnson's goal to me. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that, that, I thought about that too. Like, man, remember last year when he was just like racking up points and goals, and it was pretty funny. But uh, but yeah, no, I I think his hands and his hockey IQ are a lot higher than than people think they are, and I think he you know he deserves to to maybe stick around and and play every once in a while. That's hot take number one. Hot take number two is basically what you were just saying, which is that uh, I am very concerned with Nick Letty, and I actually think that his hockey IQ isn't nearly as high as we think it is. <laughs> He's he has wheels for days. He can skate better. And we've talked about it before. I mean, who who in the league skates better as a defenseman than Nick Letty? I mean, Eric Carlson, you know, Latang when he's healthy, Hedman maybe. Um, not a whole lot of other guys. Like they're they're he's a very good skating defenseman. And they're that's a that's a valuable skill to have. My problem comes from what he does with that skill. It's not much. I mean, how many times have you seen him break into his own and then just not do anything? Like just skate around and get the puck taken from him, or you know now he you know he still does that back pass thing on the power play, and it's usually to Barzell. But I I get the sense that he's doing it just because he's doing he's done it before, not because of any strategic reason or because you know he senses this is the way to gain the zone. I think he just does it because he does it, and that kind of leads to some stagnant power play work, like you're saying, where you know if that first unit doesn't do anything, that second unit isn't doing anything either. And so I, I too, am very concerned about Nick Letty, and I just – I'm coming around. I don't think they should trade him or get rid of him or something like that, but I'm very concerned, and I'm just – I just wonder if for all of his great skills, 
he just doesn't have the kind of vision and the sense that a guy given that much responsibility could and should have. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think that he's, he's kind of confounding to watch right now. And, and the Rangers are doing this thing with Shattenkirk where it, he was like out of the lineup for a while. And, and I'm not saying that's what's going to, what should happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if Barry Trotz is, you know, puts him up away from the game for a little while because he's, it's just, he looks broken. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's like, just not doing what he's passing up like clear sh- uh clear shooting opportunities and then when he's got two people in front of him on a power plate then he decides to shoot it it's just been it's it's <laughs> yeah. weird it's weird to watch I, and i don't know what the uh what you know what the issue is i'm uh i i think i just think i think at this point like you just got to say look like we ride with the hot hand and and ryan pulak even though he hasn't like you know but put up three or four goals to start the year he's definitely been more effective and and that gives that whole power play right now just runs through Barzal it's basically let Barzal skate around and try to draw away a defender or two and then hit Josh Bailey on the back door where if you have Pollock who's got a great shot like Nick Letty doesn't have a great slap shot so no not at all <laughs> yeah so if you if you have Pollock and Barzal on the power play together you know, you you can't just overload Barzal because he's going to create space, and in that space will be one of the best shots in the NHL. So, you know, I'm sure I'm sure like Barry, Barry Trotz sees that as well. So I I wouldn't be surprised to see if that that change. Yeah, I mean, as Arthur Staple told us uh, a while back, um, you know, the idea of the second power play unit. Well, yeah, the idea of the first power play unit was that it would be run through Barzell, but then the second power play unit would essentially run through Ryan Pullock. But the problem is that that unit never has the puck. And even when they do, you know, Pollock misses the net a lot for great, as great as his shot is, he misses the net a lot. And sometimes that thing is just a little too wild. And I think it's, it comes in almost too hot to handle for a lot of guys, especially those guys, if those guys aren't Anders Lee, who is on the first power play unit, who might make something out of that crazy, you know, a crazy bounce in front of the net or something like that. So there's definitely room for improvement there. Uh, I'm sure Barry Trotz says it, like you said, um, you know, when, when he made the decision to scratch Martin, you know, a lot of people were like, why? That That's crazy. I mean, they're playing so well. And wow, I mean, this guy is a veteran and he's getting scratched. And, you know, Trot said, I forget if it was that game or the game after, he said, I'm not afraid to scratch guys. Like I, but, you know, the, the thing is to, to explain to them why they're being scratched and to let them know that it's not because of your play. It's because, you know, this is what I feel like and this is what I'm looking at. And, you know, it's not a permanent thing. It's not. It's temporary. It, you'll come back in, and that's basically what happened with Ross Johnston. And you know, I mean, Ross Johnston is a player who Barry Trotz can obviously scratch because he's not a regular yet. But you know, to tell Matt Martin to take a seat is probably kind of a tough thing because he's he's been playing with these guys, and you know, Arthur Staple and other people are writing these articles about how good that line has been playing, and all of a sudden the guy gets scratched. It's a tough thing, but the coach is is willing to do it, and I wouldn't be surprised to see you know when when it seemed like Anthony Beauvillier was going to get scratched. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised because he hasn't been playing all that well. He, they said he was ill, so maybe that's a thing. I think it would be an enormous thing for Nick Letty to be scratched, and it would be a day that I, again, am glad that I'm not on Twitter because I think people would <laughs> rightfully freak out. But, uh, you know, I could see that happening. And you know what? If that's what the coach thinks he needs to do, I can see why. And, again, I'm I'm totally being biased because if Jack Capuano or Doug Waite had scratched Nick Letty, I would want them both fired. Yeah, exactly. Right, Trot says so. it. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Maybe he's got a point. <laughs> yeah, uh, so. precisely. And that, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't, I don't know, like what uh, he's probably been the worst defenseman of the bunch to start to start the year, and 
obviously not including uh, Lucas Pisa, but <laughs> of uh, of nor of normal defensemen, it's yeah. been it's been Nicoletti. Yeah, and and Scott Mayfield on the other hand has looked pretty, really really good, and and Thomas Hickey had a couple of really bad games too. We talked last time about he didn't look right in that Nashville game, and he didn't look right in that San Jose. Nobody did, to be quite honest, but. He looks like he might be struggling too, and uh, I don't know what it is. I, I really don't. You know, those are guys that you rely on, and and as people have written, you know, it's great when the the bottom six is scoring goals, but when the top six is not, you know, you wonder. And again, it's you know, with games like the uh, the Kings game where their underlying numbers weren't great, but they won, and games like the Sharks game where their underlying numbers were just unspeakably awful, and guess what? They lost. You know, people are rightfully maybe not sold on these guys being quite turned around just yet. And I, obviously it's only seven games into the season, so it's possible, but you know, we got to enjoy the wins when we get them. Um, but yeah, there's definitely areas of concern that, that need to be fixed. And you just hope that Barry Trotz and his team are kind of taking a look at things and, you know, they'll get straightened out. And with Lou Lamorello in charge, things will get fixed. Hopefully at some point uh, you got to think so. Cause Lou's definitely never been talking about guys who aren't shy to, about making changes that Lou is definitely that guy. So you got to think everybody's on their best behavior, you know. Right, exactly. And uh, I mean, it's but we can't emphasize enough. The beginning of the season so weird. Yeah. And uh, the, the the Islanders obviously aren't getting into a rhythm. They've got another four yeah. days off, and then they play, <laughs> before they play the Panthers. So yeah. So it's just like it's so hard to like read it to anything. I mean, I'm, I know. I've been encouraged by a couple of things like the the goaltending. Grice definitely since the Carolina game has looked a little bit. Yeah. Shaky, shaky, but Lanner, Lanner's been good, and yeah. and I think this is probably his job to lose for a little while, and and, uh, and I, I've liked him a lot. Yeah, no, he's he's been great, and as far as I'm concerned, he's the starting goalie. Like he's he's it. He was again. None of these losses could be penned on him, pegged on him. Really, uh, the Sharks game, he had no help whatsoever. But uh, you know, he just made saves that he was supposed to make, and you know, in that's a thing that you can't really count on enough sometimes. And, you know, Grice, unfortunately in the ducks game, um, didn't, you know, there's a couple of those goals were really kind of, kind of really poor. And, uh, you know, it's that kind of stuff when you're in a competition with another goalie, that's going to get the other guy looked at a little bit more favorable. And as far as I know, I'm concerned, Leonard is the starting goalie right now. And it doesn't mean that Grice isn't going to play, but, uh, he's looked really good and, uh, good for him. Good. For, good. You know, it's, there's a definite, definite calmness about Leonard that we haven't seen in a long time, you know, Yaro Halak could have those games where he was just locked in, um, but he was also kind of a guy who sometimes he would kind of scramble and get a little crazy and <laughs> drive you yeah. a little a little nuts. So it's nice to see a calm goalie back there. Yeah, he's long. big too. Like I, I was trying to think about the last time the Islanders had a like a regular big goalie, like not yeah. Anders Nilsson or Miko Koskinen, who just Go, played for a little while. Got to be Garth Snow, right? Yeah, I was gonna say that's that's <laughs> that's who I was thinking. Like the guy who who was who would play like you know fifty games, and you can see being a big part but yeah he's he's really big planner yeah. yeah butch goring likes to point that out too <laughs> oh, he's a big man brendan yeah. <laughs> anyway uh so uh you know with with the uh, bringing up guard snow and and butch goring and stuff like that i guess it's a good time to transition to uh today's uh more sad news uh the passing of charles wong uh at the age of 74 and first reported by newsday um, no, no cause of death, uh, yet is, as known, but he was at home in an oyster bay surrounded by his family. Uh, and the news was, uh, I guess told to Newsday from his attorney. Um, I wrote the, uh, the post today about it. Um, you know, there's, I, I do think that his legacy as an Islanders owner is complicated. 
But that being said, I think we can all agree that this team would not exist in where it is today <laughs> without Charles Wong. And, you know, we can complain about Brooklyn or Nassau or Belmont or politics or whatever. But um, when this guy bought the team in 2000, there was not a line around the block waiting to buy it. I mean, this was a team that hadn't had a lot of success in a long time, had uh, an onerous lease with a crumbling building, had, you know, very little, very small prospects in getting a new building and needed help. And he was the guy who stepped up and knew going in that he was going to basically lose a ton of money. And sure enough, he did. But he was willing to do it because he thought that the team should be on Long Island. And, uh, you know, there were highs. We got the Michael Pekka, Alexei Yashin era right away. And there were lows, like, uh, you know, the failed referendum and, and eight years of lighthouse hockey stuff that, he, you know, he tried to get done and kept getting stymied everywhere he could uh, in every turn by politics and other nonsense. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, it's it's a sad thing that, you know, he'll be kind of judged by the team's record throughout his era, which is, quite frankly, not very good. But, uh, you know, there are people all across Long Island that will say Charles Wong uh, helped them and, and, you know, made life better for them through hockey endeavors or business or, you know, just a letter. He apparently wrote letters to people <laughs> all the time, which is a great thing. I didn't even know that. And so, you know, this is a guy who's, again, his, you know, this franchise has had a lot of uh, people come and go. So, and a lot of them wear black hats, but his hat is a lot more gray <laughs> than, than some of the guys who, who straight up wore the black hats. And I'm interested to hear what you think, because, I mean, I'm old. So I've been through a number of Islanders owners, but like you basically grew up with the Charles Wong Islander. Right. Like, you didn't yeah. know an owner before that, right? Yeah. So I was 10 when he took over in 2000. So... Yeah, it's basically been him, and that's about it since, you know, until Ledecky and whatever. But, yeah, I mean, you put it right. Like, he's got a – it's a very complex thing that people outside the Islander kind of universe wouldn't understand. They'd probably just look at it and be like, oh, this guy was a, probably a little bit of a kook and a bad owner. Whereas, like, no, nah, like, he, he, he was definitely not a good, you know, X's and O's guy or owner, if that's a thing, like – he was probably over-involved in areas he didn't know anything about, but he saved the Islanders. He saved he 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 like he loved Long Island so much that he would lose fifty million dollars a year to make sure that uh, uh, their franchise stayed. And I mean, there there were so many times where people would just be like, you know, he should just give up. Like, I can't believe this guy is still doing this. Like, he should he's losing this money. His original co-owner got indicted and went to jail and basically that could have been a huge problem. And, and Juan kind of just was like, yeah, I'll just take over his share. And there were, it, you know, kept, kept it being an, an issue. So he, there were so many good things that he did that, I mean, there was a lot of bad things that happened on the ice and off the ice, I guess a little bit, but like the, the, the good, so the good were so much more important than the bad uh, in terms of like the long-term future, so I mean, it, it really was sad when I when I woke up and saw it because he, he, he I guess the best way to put it is like uh, uh, I think I can't remember if it was Dom. Somebody calls him a, a benevolent dictator, like just kind of what he is. He was he was just like this guy who who wanted had the the Long Island and the Islanders' best interests at heart, but he tried to get them 
there in his own way, and that kind of backfired from time to time. You know, the Islanders put out a statement, obviously, and and uh, the as did Gary Bettman, and as did uh, AHL Commissioner David Andrews, and as did um, the Sound Tigers. And, you know, for the people that worked with him and the people that knew him, uh, he was a great guy. And, and uh, you know, he had a great sense of humor, and, and they liked having him around. And Gary Bettman basically said, you know, his he's going to be missed uh, at the Board of Governors meetings and things like that. And, you know, that that's the kind of side of Charles Wong that I don't think a lot of us saw. You know, we saw the guy who, you know, kept the purse strings pretty tight, <laughs> uh, you know, tried like hell to get that, that Lighthouse project up and running. And, you know, obviously we all wanted it to happen. Uh, and then it wasn't until years later that we were all like, mm, you know, that kind of seemed maybe like it was a little bit too much too soon. Especially for these people here who don't like anything, any change, let alone a big, huge change. And then, you know, he's also the guy who preceded, presided over their move to Brooklyn, which has not been very smooth. And, you know, uh, now they're trying to get out of it, basically. Um, but, yeah, you can't overstate the fact that without him, this team is nowhere. I mean, where where would they be? Like, I don't I don't even know. And, and again, it's not like there was a whole bunch of suitors waiting to buy the Islanders. You this team is was not a hot property you know with with the if you were going to buy this team you knew you were going to lose a ton of dough and you knew that you were going to have to fight tooth and nail for a new arena and you were going to just go have to do it if you wanted it and he wanted it he was the guy who stepped up and did it mm-hmm. uh like you said he he went about it his own way randy marshall wrote a thing in newsday today uh and how you know he often got in his own way like <laughs> when he he refused to hire Al D'Amato's brother or cousin or whatever it was. And well, that was a problem for the lighthouse project. And it's stupid as it sounds, uh, you know, good on Wong for not doing that. But at the same time, like that's a problem. And so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's all that kind of stuff. That's why it's, it's complicated. You know, there's good, there's bad, there's decisions that you wish he had done differently. Um, you know, in business world and, and in his Islanders dealings, but, uh, there's definitely no, there's no, overestimating the impact he had on this team. And, you know, again, for a generation of fans, he's the owner. Like, he's the guy who owned the team. And for better or worse, he's it. And I think I've always said that over time, I thought, you know, the fan base would soften on its outlook on him. And I think that's kind of what what happened. I think people will see the problems that he had to deal with and the obstacles that were in the way and say, you know what, for all, for all those problems and all the failures – um, you know, he he was a pretty good owner and he meant well. He had the best of intentions. Didn't always work out in his favor, but he definitely had the best of intentions. And, uh, you know, he'll go down as a guy. I'm sure they're going to do a, a moment of silence for him against the Panthers. And, uh, you know, we're going to see some tributes to him along the way. But uh, condolences to his family, condolences to his friends, everybody who worked with him with the Islanders. Uh, it was a sad day. Uh, I, you know, yeah. I'm still kind of processing it. Like, wow, because nobody knew. Like, it just kind of came. I was at the supermarket when I read it, and nobody really expected it. So still kind of processing it. It'll take a while to kind of get over. But, uh, yeah, it's, it makes you reflect on what we've seen so far. You know? Yeah, it's it's crazy. And, and it's so funny that because people were really hard on him. And most other people, you know, they were they're not, not saying like Wong apologists, but people who maybe looked at it, you know, more big picture wise than – you know, Gar Snow sucks as a GM and he hasn't been fired yet and then or that he kept Mike Milbury around for so long. Whereas, you know, like would you rather have these these suffered through these two guys and have the Islanders be in Kansas City? Or I don't think so. Like this that is like a legitimate option. Like you said there wasn't anybody really else who wanted to buy this team and 
if they did, I'm telling you right now, Charles Wong was probably the only legitimate one who would have who's who was buy who was buying the team to keep them here. Everybody right. else probably was like, yeah, I'll buy them, and then we're gonna you know hit yeah. a, head out west or something. So, <laughs> I mean, just prior to him buying the team. Again, I, I'm I remember this clear as day because I was in college when this happened. Was the uh, the Milstein brothers and Steve Gluck's turn, and they clearly they wanted to buy the team, get NASA to foot the bill for a new arena, and then sell the whole kit and caboodle to some other sucker. And uh, that was their job. They couldn't care less about the Islanders at all. But Charles Wong cared. Like he cared about the team. Uh, he wasn't really a hockey fan when he bought them, though, yeah, which is yeah. kind of funny. <laughs> he was like he went to one game or something before. Yeah, something like uh, that. He had uh, he had the hockey for dummies when at the press conference and it was kind of got a big laugh. He had you know it was John Davidson's hockey for dummies book and you know but that's the funny thing like like you've said and you, you hit it, you hit it on the head you know outside of Islanders f- fandom circles or Islanders country he's definitely misunderstood and you know people look at the record and they go wow this guy stinks and you know the, he his loyalty to guys like Gart Snow and and Jack Capuano. Uh, May have been a little bit misguided. Loyalty is a great thing; is a great trait. Don't get me wrong, but you know, when it comes to a losing hockey team, you wonder if if you're being loyal and and maybe your loyalty is at cross purposes with what the actual goal is. But uh, you know that that sense of humor, like the whole sumo wrestler goalie thing. I mean, I think people think that he was being serious. I'm sure he wasn't. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he kind of kind of played it off as a joke because you know he's a guy who very. Uh, a very broad sense of humor uh, to the people who knew him. and But I think he's definitely misunderstood. And, I, you know, one thing, too, I, that isn't really mentioned that much is, you know, he's he's one of the very rare people of color to have owned an NHL team. Like, you know, I mean, the only right. other one I could think of was uh, the uh, the Japanese investors who owned the Lightning back in the early 90s before uh, Wong bought the Islanders. And that's really it. It's a very, very small list. <laughs> uh, and, you know, he's he, here's a guy who who's an immigrant who came here and, he you know, when he was very young and grew up in Brooklyn and, and made him not only made himself a billionaire, but a, a team owner in new, uh, North American professional sports. Like how the heck often does that happen? You know, my, my parents are immigrants. My dad is not a billionaire. I just, uh, I hate to break that to people, but he isn't, uh, and he wasn't going to buy the Islanders anytime soon, but you know, it's a tough life. If anybody knows the, what that's like. So, you know, he was a unique dude and uh, you know, yeah, I he, wish... probably, he probably doesn't get enough credit sport wide, honestly, for yeah. just that, for that kind of impact, sure. Like, like we keep saying, there was a lot of quirk to him, but he, his his impact is going to be felt. And whether it was, I mean, he he started the whole thing in China, bringing the yeah, Islanders. Yeah, I was gonna say there. all the games in China for sure. Like the kids in China are playing in r- rinks that he built, you know, right. because the Islanders played there and set them up. So, I mean, and, and also like on Long, he's he's done a ton for Long Island. I know he's built like f- fields and stuff, and like would be footing bills for things that we're getting like bogged down in taxes and stuff. So, I mean, there's, there, there, there's a lot to unpack with Charles. And, uh, he was like, just like the type of guy that we love. Cause he's a long Islander that this guy loved long Island. And, yeah. uh, that was awesome. And, and he loved going to the games too. I, I, one of my favorite, I think my favorite Charles Wong memory, I was, it's, it had to be like 2002 or three, but, uh, he was at they they show his box on the jumbotron, and there there is Colin Powell. <laughs> That's right, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, with with uh, Charles Wong, and I think after the game he was like, "Yeah, we're turning him into an Islander fan or something." And I was like, "This is that is the 
it's either at the time the former secretary of the state or the secretary of the state, and here he is at Nassau Coliseum with Charles Wong watching the, the Islanders play the Panthers or something. <laughs> yeah, no, I, you're right. He, he loved the – that's why he bought the team was he loved the, the – he wanted Long Island's team to stay on Long Island. And it was, he wasn't necessarily a fan. He wasn't like a jersey-wearing guy at the games or anything like that. But he was the guy who, who wanted to keep them there. And, and, yeah, no, he's definitely – I mean, Randy Marshall, again, was saying that he has property still – you know, under his his name that are ready to develop. And, you know, uh, there's a, a story. I mean, Newsday has been all over this, obviously. Uh, they've had a long relationship with him. But uh, if you get a chance to read Jim Baumbach's story from this afternoon, um, it's pretty clear that Wong was the guy, even after he announced. So the, um, the decision to move to Brooklyn kind of was a bit hasty. Um, you know, they needed a place to play. And he basically signed on for a lease with Bruce Ratner, who he knew. Uh, for a long time, for the Islanders to play in Brooklyn. And even though he announced this 25-year ironclad lease that we all know that phrase very well, um, you know, I guess he he was the one who also helped put the opt-out clause in there for the team to move back to Long Island should an opportunity arise. And it was very soon after they moved that he was looking at Belmont with the guy and, and saying, you know, looking at the possibilities here and, you know, Again, you should read the story. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's very uh, well uh, written and everything, as most Jim Ballback stories are. And you know, basically, Wong helped steer Ledecky and Malkin to Belmont, uh, where they could, you know, make a play for an arena. And you know, on one hand, you're like, well, why didn't they try that earlier? I don't understand. Like, why did they have to move the team to Brooklyn first and go through all this hassle uh, before that happened? But at the same time, it, it illustrates how much he loves Long Island and how he was still trying to get the team back even after he signed this lease with uh, another, you know, arena. And, but, you know, keep sort of keeping the team temporarily in in New York, thankfully, but also looking to get them back to Long Island. And so, th- again, it's it's just like we've been saying, like, it's a complex thing. It's, it's a complicated thing. There's no, like, th- there's no, you know, sort of, it's not a black and white thing. Like, there's a lot of shades to it that make it a complex issue. And some people will read it and think, wow, that, why why do you do that? And then other people will think, wow, that was a really great thing he tried to do. So that's the legacy of Charles Wong. It's just very complex and there's very there's a lot of layers to it. Um, but, you know, again, we would not be, literally you and I would not be here right now <laughs> if yeah. it wasn't for him. So, you know, we rest in peace, Charles. We salute you. And again, condolences to his family and friends. Yeah, that's well put. And uh, yeah, definitely somebody I'm gonna I'm going to miss. Uh, just having you know him kind of in the fray of things, so yeah, it's, it it sucks. Yeah. Uh, also, um, Michael Fornabio has some stuff uh, at the CT Post about Wong's impact with the Sound Tigers. We haven't even talked about that. Uh, you know, he bought the team after he bought the Islanders, <laughs> and you know, it's, it's funny how you know you become a team owner and everybody thinks, "Wow, that's great." You got, but it's it's never. The money, it's almost like buying a house, only it's a million times worse, you know? So, like, when you buy a house, <laughs> you're constantly paying people to come fix something or you're at the hardware store fixing it yourself, whatever. When you're a team owner, you don't just buy it. You, you're constantly shelling out more money for rosters. And, oh, by the way, let's buy the, the AHL affiliate. Oh, by the way, you need a new locker room? Well, you got to foot the bill. It's a whole thing. So, uh, so yeah, Charles definitely, uh, uh, you know, helped keep the Sound Tigers in town, too, which, you know, wouldn't have happened if, if he hadn't bought the team. So, there you go. Uh, it's, again, it's a good time to reflect on on his legacy and maybe take a second look at it, especially if you're not an Islanders fan. Although, again, as I always say, I don't know why you'd be listening to this if you were, but <laughs> now is a good time to to reflect on that and and you know 
uh, see for yourself all the things that he did. Okay, uh, so we have to uh, move on a little bit uh, to the rest of the schedule. Uh, so the Islanders play Wednesday against those same Florida Panthers we were just talking about. Um, they then play Saturday in Philadelphia, and then Sunday in Raleigh, the uh, House of Horrors from <laughs> game one of the season. Um, I hate saying this, and you know, you think by now after whatever, three or four seasons of this podcast, I wouldn't say it, but um, those are three very winnable games. <laughs> uh, the Islanders just need to step up and win them, uh, particularly the, the Panthers game. You know, The Panthers have got off to a bit of a rough start. And uh, the Flyers are just, if you read Broad Street Hockey, which is my favorite non-Islanders SB Nation blog, you would think that the Flyers were like a raging tire fire. Like they're just constantly falling apart, literally falling down on the ice in a, in a big loss to the Blue Jackets the other day. Um, and then, you know, the, the Hurricanes have been really good this year, but, you know, the Islanders really need to kind of step up and, and uh, you know, make them take some revenge for that first game. Uh, although, actually, I think about it, the Islanders won. So I guess the Hurricanes are the ones who are going to want revenge. Uh, but the Islanders need to prevent them from getting that revenge. And then uh, Tuesday, they play the Penguins in Pittsburgh, which is always a fun night at the old rink. So Panthers, Flyers, Hurricanes, Penguins, what do you think? What 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 are we thinking here they come away with of those those eight points? Yeah, I, w- I would, five or six would be great. Uh, definitely six would, would be fantastic. I, I mean, I, I think that they should – go into a game against the Flyers and at the, I mean the Panthers game for sure it's at home like you said like this is a team that hasn't got off to a good start um they sh- they should I mean but the, the problem is that the Panthers have these you know great two lines that just don't ever lose the puck so it could be a matchup nightmare but the uh I I would like six points out of it and and I would love I mean if they should be if, if the thing is like the if the Islanders do have aspirations to make the playoffs this year they're gonna have to beat the the flyers out for a spot they'll probably have to beat the devils out even though the devils haven't lost in you know eight or nine months uh <laughs> something like that but like that so these are the games you know these these are the teams you're gonna have to stack yourselves up with um so i i, I mean of course we'd love to see him play the penguins i'm actually kind of looking forward to that penguins game a little bit because i think the the trots era you know he's gonna have them with, especially with Martin back in the fold and it's just, it, it could be, there could be like a little bit of a rekindling of that, you know, early decade rivalry with, uh, with the way this team's set up. And it's too bad that Max Talbot isn't on the team to, to, to mess with, but <laughs> I'm sure the Penguins by then will have called some up, up some guy from Wilkes-Barre that will, uh, become the new Max Talbot. Like he'll just be yeah, like, exactly. Oh, I hate this guy already. Just whatever it is, his name, his face, his hair, it's something I'll just hate about him because he's a penguin. Um, they actually uh, have a, it's a um, home at home with the penguins. They were at, they're in Pittsburgh on the 30th and then they're home uh, to them on the uh, uh, November 1st. So that'll be pretty interesting. Little, little mini playoff series right there. Um, yeah. I think six points, if they get six points out of these eight games, that is, that is his cause for celebration. Like that would be an amazing, amazing feat. <laughs> um, that Hurricanes game is at five o'clock on Sunday in Raleigh. So I'm going to go ahead and say that that is the one they're going to lose. <laughs> um, I think they, you know, they have a good chance of against the Pan- the Panthers on Wednesday. I think they have a good chance against the Flyers uh, in a matinee on Saturday. And um, yeah, with the Penguins, hey, you never know. I mean, the Islanders do kinds of <laughs> weird stuff happens when the Islanders and Penguins get together. So, you know, you can really say, I mean, it'd be easy to be like, oh, man, they're, Malkin, Crosby, they're just going to destroy the Islanders because they usually do. But 
weird stuff has happened. So you would, you know, we'll have to keep an eye open for that one. But yeah, Sunday in Raleigh against uh, the day after the playing the, the Flyers in Philly, there's no way the Islanders win that game. So, but then again, we all thought that about the uh, the game against the Kings. So we'll see what yeah. happens. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Yep. The of the Hurricanes, I, I, it was funny the first couple of minutes of this segment you were talking about the Hurricanes and the way you were talking about it was – and you mentioned it. You're like, yeah, the Hurricanes is a house of horrors, whatever. And the whole time I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure the Hurricanes beat us. But they didn't. It was just – they did beat us. The Islanders just got the two points. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's how it works. So there's something about that building. Only the Islanders can make <laughs> the SBC Center in Raleigh – like the worst place to play ever. You know, it's not the Shark Tank. It's not, you know, Bridgestone in Nashville. It's not even Montreal or Toronto. I mean, all those places are tough to play too, but there's something about that building in Raleigh that the Islanders just don't like. It's something that's very strange. I don't know what it is. It's maybe it's a ghost of, of Arena's past that, that <laughs> freaks them out. It's, maybe it's the red uniforms. I don't know. It's weird, but uh, so we'll have to see what happens. But again, you know, this is, this is the new era and we're trying to keep an open mind. So Barry Trotz is a guy in charge now. You know he doesn't care. He doesn't care that the Islanders never win in Raleigh. They're gonna try and hopefully figure it out. And we'll see what changes they have uh, going forward for the week. Uh, anything else? Anything else to, to cover? I think we got everything right. Talk about three games. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It was it was nice to have some games to talk about. For sure. Oh, definitely, definitely. Even even terrible ones like that Sharks game. And man, if you haven't, did you watch a replay of it or no? No, I well, I saw what Twitter looked like, and I was like, I'm yeah. I'm, no, I'm don't. Yeah, I'm getting, this is gonna be one of the ones that I just. Pretend never happened. <laughs> Don't want it. It's it, it was incredibly frustrating, and especially being that it was like you know twelve thirty at night, and I'm like, why am I still watching this? And it's just like they were just chasing them all over the place, and it was incredibly frustrating. And every time they would get the puck, some shark would come. It was like they were playing at two different speeds, you know. And so every time an Islander would get the puck, some shark was right behind him and just took it away. And it was it was happening to everybody. I mean, even Barzell couldn't couldn't hold the puck for a second before somebody took it. And, I don't know if they were they were pissed off that they got shut out in, in Brooklyn a couple of weeks ago, but man, it was it was very very frustrating. And then the Donny Brooks broke out. Anders Lee got into a fall. He got his he got kind of beat by Evander Kane, but uh, Scott Mayfield beat the hell out of somebody. <laughs> and Matt Martin got slew footed by Brent Burns, and he was yelling at him. And I'm sure somebody on Twitter was like, "Oh, Matt Martin's trash." But then they showed the slew foot. And I don't know. And I just found it funny that the whole line got kicked out. They do everything together. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, I think it's very cute. Uh, okay, uh, tell everybody your Twitter handle again, so you can, they can follow you there. It's the Big Lebowski with two E's. So you should follow Mike at the Big Lebowski with two E's. Uh, you should read Lighthouse Hockey every single day for your most up-to-date Islanders news and discussion. Uh, we will be back with you uh, hopefully next Wednesday. We're going to be back to our actual schedule. I know this is a it's a little weird if you're waking up on Monday like what the hell is this a new podcast? We're we're trying to get back to our Wednesday schedule, but the Islanders need to stop playing on Wednesdays. So well, they're going to get there at some point. <laughs> yeah, they just popped a couple in on us. I feel like they're just like wait a minute. Yeah, we're going to just two- squeeze these Wednesday games in. Yeah, we'll have a few weeks where we'll be on Wednesday, and then uh, November 21st, they actually plan on Wednesday. But we'll, by the second half of the season, it's going to be pretty much Wednesday recording, Thursday podcast every single week. But we do have to get it past a couple of these first. But uh, after uh, next week, we'll be able to, to be back to Wednesdays. Well, so we thank you very much for listening. Uh, we thank you very much for your support and your downloads. Rest in peace, Charles Wong. And we will see you again next week. Take care. Bye-bye.